saying there are so many good clips of married people arguing. It was hard to choose which one to, what to put up there. And at the end, I was like, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to trigger somebody with all of these marriage arguments. And I didn't want anybody sitting in here thinking, that's just like you. That's what you say all the time. And then you wouldn't hear anything the rest of the morning. So I figured I'd go something a little more lighthearted. The office is always good. Something we could relate to and <coughs> laugh about. Because this morning we are going to be doing kind of what Phyllis did there. Only trying to look through the scriptures to find uh, just some guidelines, some parameters, uh, some uh, boundary lines, if you will, for how to have a good conversation when you have to have a we-need-to-talk kind of talk. Uh, and the, sort of the metaphor that I often use is, if you remember back in the elementary school days, back when you didn't have PE, you just had a recess time, and they just send you out to this big field to do whatever, and sometimes they would throw a ball out there, be a soccer ball, football, maybe a kid would bring it, and so you just kind of have a quick game of pickup. There was always that one kid who started dribbling the ball or running with the football who didn't have any sense of boundaries, right? And he would just, I mean, if you're trying to go this way, he would go a mile that direction, all excited that nobody could catch him, right? Now, the problem with that is if you chase that kid all the way out of bounds, all the way to the far end of the field, two things happen. One is you end up somewhere you don't want to be, and second of all, you're out of breath. You're absolutely exhausted from it. The same will happen in your conversations, those we-need-to-talk talks, if you chase somebody out of bounds. And this morning, I want to talk about what the boundaries are. And typically, once that kid does that, afterwards, once he kind of, everybody comes back over, then you say, okay, okay, no, no, no. From that tree to that pole, that's out of bounds. We're not going out there. And if you're going past the pavement, that's out of bounds over there. So you kind of set those boundaries that basically say, if you go outside those lines, what are we going to do? We're all going to stop. We're not going to chase you out there. We're not going to keep going down those paths. We're not going to go that far out of bounds where we don't want to be, where nothing happens, where we all end up in a place we don't want to be, and we're exhausted from the effort. We don't really get anything done. We don't just get to play the game. Second thing that will happen when you're playing a pickup game is eventually you'll start having some rules you've got to put in place because there's just some kids who just act a fool and don't know how to play nice and do things they shouldn't do. And so pretty soon you'll come up with rules like, hey, no hitting below the knees. All right, We're not going to take anybody out below the knees. We're not going to block like that. Uh, maybe some other things you'll say is, oh, you can't just rush in like that. You've got to wait. You've got to be patient. You've got to count for, what, what do we go for? Um, it's always Mississippi. Why Mississippi? <laughs> I've been to Mississippi. I think it's because people in Mississippi are just a little slower to do everything, so we've got to slow down. <laughs> hey, I, I'm not saying anything bad about that. They just seem like they're going to take their sweet time on everything. So um, one of the things we always did, though, in pickup games, though, is you had to have a rule that said we're going to respect the call. If somebody says you're out of bounds, because I mean, come on, is it out of bounds and you're trying to get from that pole to that tree? I mean, do you really know if you're out of bounds or not? If somebody says you're out of bounds, you just got to respect the call. The same is going to be true when it comes to our ground rules for having a we need to talk talk. Is when somebody calls a foul on this or blows a whistle on this or says, hey, that's out of bounds, you have to respect that call. And you can't go any further in that direction and expect to get anything done. And so, with that, I kind of want to go through and look at some various things in Scripture. This is going to be a very topical message because the Bible kind of puts these things all over the place, these guidelines for our talks. Uh, one of the overarching things I want to keep in mind is out of Ephesians chapter 4. The whole chapter is about how do we maintain unity? How do we maintain peace within a body of believers like the church? Uh, because if you think about it, you've got all these people in a church. Uh, the Scripture says very clearly, where two or more are gathered in my name, there will, uh, what does he say? No, I don't know if he's going to be there or not, but there's definitely going to be conflict. Uh, there's definitely be problems and conflict whenever two or more are gathered in anybody's name. It doesn't matter if it's a marriage or a church or anything. When two or more are gathered, it's eventually there's going to be conflict. And so all of chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians is talking about the, 
the need for unity and peace. And I'm going to give you the, couple, the, the first couple of verses and the end couple of verses of this whole chapter. He says, be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. We've talked about those principles already in this series. And then he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Peace ain't easy. Say that with me. Peace ain't easy. Peace ain't easy. It's not easy to keep the peace. There are some people it's hard to be peaceful with. There's some people like Angela who are going through all kinds of personal issues with their cat passing away, and I guess for some people that's a bad thing. For others, it may not be a bad thing. It just depends on what kind of person you are, but you've got to respect the fact that for some people that's difficult, and so you've got to make every effort to keep the peace. And then he ends out this chapter with some other guidelines. He says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But here's the key. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That's a thick sentence right there. Only what is helpful for building others up. Sometimes when you go to have these we need to talk talks, you're not going with the tension of being helpful and building up. What are you looking for? A revenge, a pound of flesh. I'm looking for get back. I'm looking to bring some pain on you the way I felt pain. And it's not really a we need to talk so we can rebuild what's been broken. It's we need to talk so I can tear you down also. And so he says only what is helpful um, according to their needs. Their needs. Sometimes you can go have a talk, which is all about your needs. Remember, they have needs too. Sometimes they need you to present it in a way that they can understand. Uh, when you go to try to correct a three-year-old, I hope you're not using big words. I hope you're doing it in a way according to their needs and what they can understand. I'm not going to make the parallel in your marriage relationship with a three-year-old. I'll let you do that. And then lastly, that it may benefit those who listen. Uh, it's got to benefit. There's got to be some constructive value here. It's got to be for the good of the relationship and everybody who's a part of this conversation. They give several other parameters beyond that. Uh, this morning, um, I'm going to be going through a list of things in quite, quite rapid suggest, su- su- succession. Uh, I've, you're going to be tempted to take notes to sort of relieve, relieve alleviate uh, that need to take notes. I'm going to give you the notes already. They're up on the screen. If you take out your phone, if you don't know how to do this, you're going to learn right now. Uh, pull out your phone, open up the camera app, don't take a picture of that, just point it out there, and your phone should, at least if you have an iPhone, I know it will, um, open up, just hit the little button, and that will open up the notes for this morning's message. Uh, you can then take that, you can do a screen capture of that if you want, that'll it'll be, always be in your photos, uh, you can download it, however you want to download that on your phone. Uh, I highly encourage you, if you are in a long-term committed relationship with someone, that both of you have a copy of this on your phone. Because it's really hard to play a game against somebody who's playing by a different set of rules, right? That's the problem you had on the playground. Some kids have no out, no out of bounds. Some kids have out of bounds. Some kids believe there's rules. Some kids don't believe there's any rules. You have to be in the same playing field to be able to have a we need to talk kind of talk. You have to agree on what's out of bounds. Now, I understand some of you are going to read all of that, ignore everything else I have to say because you feel like you already got the message on your notes. That's fine. You can do whatever you want. But hey, we do need to talk right now about these things. So let's go in. Uh, also, I want to let you know that I'm going to be primarily talking about the marriage relationship. I know not everybody here is married. However, the marriage relationship is sort of uh, one of those areas where if you get married, you're going to have conflict at some point. So it's an area which is a big need. The scripture speaks to it a lot. But you can take all of these same principles and apply them in some way, shape, or form to just about every other situation and relationship. So to begin with, the first principles I want to look at come out of Matthew chapter 19. Uh, verse 6, which just talks about this marriage commitment in general, uh, where he says, this is Jesus talking, uh, so they know they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. 
Uh, principle number one, when you go to have a we need to talk kind of talk, you need to begin with an affirmation of your commitment to that person. Uh, we talked, I think, last week about there's some things you do need to say, but there's also some things you want to make sure that you're not saying. And one of the things you want to make sure that you're not saying is, I'm done, we're over, this is it. So you need to explicitly state your commitment to the relationship. It's where you sit down and say, um, honey, we need to talk. Before we begin, though, I just want you to know I love you, I'm committed to you, I'm not going anywhere. Which is why we need to talk about this. I highly encourage you to use the phrase, which is why, instead of but. Like, I love you, but... <laughs> It's hard because, no, no, it, which is why we need to have this talk. And this goes for all your relationships. Uh, I'm your father, and I'll always be your father. Which is why we need to talk about the fact that you're now 28 years old and can't be living here anymore. <laughs> uh, you're a phenomenal employee, which is why we hired you. And which is why we need to talk about, or I'm not, gonna fi- you know, I'm not bringing you here to fire you, which is why we need to talk about what you need to talk about. Or maybe it's a friend to say, listen, we go back a long ways, we'll always be friends, which is why we need to talk about. So you're, you're, you're affirming your commitment on the front end. Jesus says, you know, when it comes to the marriage commitment, let nobody pull this apart or put it under, but let nobody try to separate this. Uh, this issue right now is not going to separate us. I want you to know that on the front end, which is why we need to have the talk. Second thing also flows out of this verse, and this is for a marriage relationship only, okay? This is going to be really awkward if you have an employer-employee relationship, whatnot, uh, next one is uh, maintain physical contact. Uh, <laughs> don't do that at work. <laughs> That's how you get in trouble. Um, and this doesn't have to be hand-in-hand, arm around each other. This could be the most minimal of contact possible. I mean, it could be your big toe on the side of their knee from as far away on the couch as you can get. Why? Because the two are one flesh. And you're going to not feel very one fleshy when you're having this conversation. You're going to feel very separate in this conversation. You're going to feel like it's me against you. But the nature of a commitment is this is a three-legged race. And if you go down, we go down. And we're in this to the finish line. And it's you and me. So we've got to figure this out. And we're not going to feel very connected during this conversation. But we need some sort of subconscious, subtle reminder that we're connected. So he says... Uh, two or one flesh, uh, and I'm not going anywhere. Uh, one of the things I would ex- illustrate, though, going back to that um, commitment issue. Oops. All right. This illustration's not going well. Um, when you're in a conflict, you have a conflict situation, it's, some people call it, you know, there's, it's a pressured situation, right? There's a lot of pressure in your relationship, Okay. So I'm squeezing this bottle and creating pressure, okay? If I squeeze this bottle really hard, where do you think the water is going to come out? Up the top, right? Which, by the way, is where I want it to come out, right? That's why the top is there. It's, it's where you want the water to come out, right? What happens if somebody shoots a hole in the bottom of this bottle? Is the, bo- is the water ever going to come out the top if you shoot a hole in the bottom? Yeah. Well, what happens in a marriage or in any conflict is the pressure builds up. And the pressure builds up such that eventually you have to have that we need to talk, talk. Now, if somebody shot a hole through the bottom by disrupting the commitment in the relationship, the water is never coming out the top. And here's the thing about the water coming out the top, what that is. Oftentimes your conflict is going to take a lot of creativity to come up with the right solution. Because there are some things that don't have an easy answer. I mean, if somebody's calling you names and you need to have a talk about the name calling, 
that's, you know, hey, we don't talk, call names. It's, it's pretty easy. You don't need a lot of creativity. But if it's the kind of thing where I've got a commitment on Monday night and you've got a commitment on Monday night and we're both arguing about who's going to do what, that might take a little bit of creativity. And the more complex your relationship is, the more creativity it's going to take. And oftentimes, it's going to take so much creativity that at some point you're going to think, why bother? This is impossible, right? When you get to that point of why bother this is impossible and you start thinking to yourself, I'm done with this, you're poking a hole in the bottom. Further, if you're threatening to poke a hole in the bottom, uh, that's equivalent to what we call gunship diplomacy. And being that many of you all are in the Navy and have ridden those gunships, gunship diplomacy is basically where we would take a very large gunship, manned by several of you fine people, park it right off the coast of some country that we're having a problem with and say, uh, we'd like to talk to you about your stance on this issue. It's a way to basically say, if you don't or else, right? And in marriage, it looks like either you're taking the kids Monday night or I'm out of this relationship. Now, what, what have you done there? You've gone nuclear on the situation. You don't get anything accomplished. That's not a creative solution, and that's not a sustainable relationship. And so you have to have the commitment on the front end so that when the pressure increases, it comes out where you want to come out. Sometimes it'll ooze out, and sometimes it'll... No. Um, <laughs> but you want the pressure to come out the right way. Um, so maintain physical contact, um, affirm the commitment, and then third, choose to forgive ahead of time. Choose to forgive ahead of time. That passage out of Ephesians chapter 4 ends well, with the statement in verse 32, forgive one another just as in Christ God's forgiven you. Forgive one another just as in Christ God's forgiven you. We read over in 1 Peter chapters eight, uh, chapter 1 verse 18, 19, 20, that God decided before he ever created you that he was going to send his son Jesus Christ down the cross for your sins. Before he ever made the world, before he ever put people on the world, before he ever made you to put you in the world, he already decided ahead of time that any and every sin you would ever commit he would die on the cross for by sending his son Jesus Christ one day to be the sinless perfection to gain God's approval on your behalf. He decided ahead of time. Now, does God confront us in our sin? Yeah. But he's already decided before he's even confronted you, he's going to forgive it. Which means if you're going to go call somebody out for something, you've got to already have decided in your heart, I'm committed, I'm not going anywhere, we're one flesh, I forgive them, we need to talk about it. Now, a couple things about that. First of all, there's a principle here at work. There are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. There are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. We're all sinful. We're all going to do things to hurt each other. You cannot have a forever kind of commitment without needing forgiveness along the way. So part of what I tell married couples or when I do pre-marriage counseling is go ahead and put in your wedding vows that you're going to commit to forgive each other for the rest of your life, for whatever they do. And if you're not, let's just have the exception clause now. Right? You know, this, with this ring I thee wed, I take you to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, except for, and list out all the things that you're not going to forgive. Just go ahead and tell them on the front end. Give your exception clause. Because if you don't have the exception clause, then what you're really saying is, I'm in this to the end. I'm going to forgive it. You've already committed that on this relationship, so make good on that. Uh, second thing that I'll say about this is, what you see in Scripture is, we are not given the forgiveness until we're in a place to want to receive it. That's something we often forget. Sometimes people will be so quick that I, I, I'm going to forgive them, and you go tell them I forgive you before they've even said they've done anything wrong. Part of the confrontation that God gives with us, he says, listen, you're acting a fool. Do you recognize this? And it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. 
Now, does that mean Jesus is going to die on the cross till we confess? No. He's already paid for it. It's already paid in full. It's like a gift. It's like a present he's already wrapped up. God's grace and his forgiveness are like a present he's already wrapped up, and he wants to give it to us. But we have to want to receive it. And if the person doesn't want your forgiveness because they won't confess their wrongdoing, you can't give it. You've prepared for it. You've paid for it. But you can't communicate it and give it to them until they've asked for it. Is that clear? There's a whole other message with own forgiveness. I don't think we're going to cover it in this series. I covered it many years ago. I may be coerced into doing another one, but moving on. Um, let's see. Yeah. Number four, listen, 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 and listen again. Uh, it's a proverb that says, the first to present their case seems right until it's cross-examined. Now, you've already presented your case in your mind. You went ahead, and since there was nobody else to sit up there on the judge's podium, you went ahead and sat up there yourself and pronounced the sentence. You had a jury of your peers, not theirs, sometimes weigh in on these things when they shouldn't have. Don't you think that was wrong of him? Don't you think that was wrong of him? Don't you think that was wrong of him? Well, we all agree. So you go and you present. Your jury that you created of your peers has already agreed that they're guilty on it. You've got to offer time for cross-examination. You've got to ask before you accuse. You've got to ask before you accuse. And then you've got to listen to the answer. You can't interrupt you got to listen to the answer. It's so quick to want to interrupt when they're trying to give their answer because you already know the, all the facts. You only know the details. The problem is you don't know what you don't know. And you won't know that until you listen. For instance, let's just say you had an agreement that you weren't going to spend over $100 on anything else for the home at Home Depot uh, to do any more home projects. We've got to put a hold on that because we're tight on budgets. And then you see a you know, on the credit card statement, three days after that conversation, here's a $256 charge. Well, clearly... They went out after our conversation and spent money they weren't supposed to. Why even ask any questions? I've got the proof. And you go in there loaded for bear with guns ablazing and start accusing. If you just ask the question, said, hey, I saw the credit card statement. There's a $256 charge from Home Depot. Um, do you know what that was for? What if they came back and they said, oh, that was something for work. I'm getting reimbursed for that. Or, that was the last charge I made before we had this conversation, which I think is why we were having that conversation. It just took Home Depot three days for it to show up on the bill. See, that's a very different conversation now, isn't it? You got to ask the questions first. Uh, I noticed that um, there were some tire tracks going through the garden right over my flowers. Now, do you know their motive for why they ran over it? See, this other thing is don't assume you know the motives. Sometimes we assume the motives. I know why he did that. I know what he was thinking. I know what she meant by that. And so he never liked those flowers anyway. That's why he ran over them. And you walk out in the queues and say, you ran over my flowers because you didn't like them. How'd you feel like if I did that to you? Maybe he doesn't even know. Maybe he's just a bad driver. I don't know. Um, number five, be specific about the issue. Uh, we looked uh, a couple weeks ago at Titus 1.13, uh, where he talks about a rebuke. And the, a rebuke needs to be sharply. Uh, as Angela points out, it has spears. It has a blade. Uh, it is sharp. Uh, it is not rounded like a spoon. Uh, it needs to be sharp. Vague hints and odd vagities can't be addressed. And so often what will happen is we're unwilling to really be honest about what we're frustrated about. And so we just kind of compile it into one big vague statement. Um, I just don't feel like we can we communicate anymore. How do you fix that? That's too vague to fix, right? Now, if you say something to the effect of, 
Last night you said you were going to pick up the kids, and then you didn't. After I asked you specifically to do it, what happened? So you can talk about that. That's very specific. You can, you can talk about that issue. You can't talk about these big generalities. Some of the things we do for these, you know, vagities are when we use words like always and never. Like you always or you never. I'm just going to tell you right now, never use always. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you guys never get my jokes. You guys always miss them. Um, what happens when you use an ever and always statement? Give an example. I'm always the one doing the dishes. Rolodex spins in your mind. What's the first thought that comes to mind? You're looking for what? Last time I did the dishes. Last Thursday night, I did them. Nah, done. And you, you already checked out of the conversation at that point, right? Because she's a liar. She's making all this stuff up. She's hysterical because she used an always statement or she used a never statement. And all you got to do is find one exception to the rule and you got your out. So don't use the always. Rather, you could say what you said. It's like, um, I don't feel like as if we're evenly splitting up our chores right now. Um, I, I feel like uh, as if uh, I'm doing the dishes on most nights. Most, it's a better word than always. Mm-hmm. Or I can't remember the last time you did the dishes. When, when did you do the dishes last? Last Thursday, okay, so I've done them the past six nights since. So that's a different conversation um, than the other. Um, also on this issue of, of, of sharply and one issue at a time is don't back the dump truck up. You know, you've been holding up all these things and another thing and another thing and another thing and another thing. And sometimes what will happen is you'll bring up something to somebody uh, and they'll be really receptive to it. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that you know, we didn't have a good distribution on the chores. Um, what can we do? Okay, that's great. Oh, and another thing about your, stop while you're ahead. Stop while you're ahead. That's not why you had the we need to talk talk. Stop while you're ahead. One thing a day, one thing at a time. So just one thing, sharply get to that point. Uh, next one, number six, avoid escalation. Um, Proverbs 29, 11 says, A fool gives full vent to their rage, but the wise will bring calm in the end. Or one of the best verses in all the Bible, uh, memorize this one, Proverbs 15, 1. Uh, what did it say? Um, no. A gentle word turns away wrath, but a sharp word turns up anger. A gentle word will turn away wrath. You've got to stay calm. If you cannot stay calm in a confrontation, you're not ready to have the confrontation. Here's why. Um, a couple things happen. Um, when you go at somebody or somebody's coming at you, what happens? You get defensive or you get aggressive. Uh, what's happening to you chemically in your body is your brain has these little frontal lobes up here which are really good at processing, okay? Okay. These things can process thousands of bits of data per second. I mean, they're an amazing superhuman computer. Well, I guess they are human. Uh, but they're an amazing supercomputer uh, that God's given you to be able to process information. And the kind of complex solution that's going to be needed with this pressure situation you're in can be found if you have full use of your frontal lobes up here. You'll find a solution. Whether you've got to go talk to friends and look for one, whether you need to talk to a counselor to get one, whether you need to look at the scriptures to get one, talk to a pastor to get one, read some books about it, uh, talk about it, work. Eventually, your frontal lobes will get you to the point where you can find a solution that goes out the right way. Now, whenever things get aggressive, what happens is there's this thing they tell us, it's in our, our brain, they call it the amygdala. The amygdala starts releasing out chemicals in your brain, which actually shuts off your front lobes. Because if there's a bear coming at you, you don't need to think about what would be the best thing to do right now, right? It either tells you to 
you got two choices. Fight it or run from it. That's it. That's the only choice it has for you, right? Fight it or run from it. Now, not thousands of pieces of creative data, which all the different things we could possibly do to work out a solution to figure out what would be the best way to handle the issue of who's going to be doing the dishes and our chores with your schedule and my schedule, everything else going on, all that complicated stuff. No. The amygdala says, throw the plate or run out of the house. That's all it can do. Your processing power goes from thousands of bits per second when your front lobes are working down to anywhere from the single digits to the tens. It, it's, it's, like, it's different between using a modern supercomputer and trying to get a computer from the 1960s. That's what your brain does when you get riled up. So the more calm the two of you can stay, the better chance you'll have at finding a constructive solution to your issue. You've got to make sure the amygdala doesn't jump in, which is why um, when things get really heated, uh, number seven, sometimes you need to call a timeout. Why do they call a timeout in a game? All right, there's a moment where there's a pressure of a decision that's got to be made and the coach isn't ready to make it or the person on the field doesn't know what to do. Somebody's run off the field. They look, oh my gosh, there's only 10 men on the field. What do we do? What do we do? We got to get somebody out there. Uh, who's, that? who's missing? Who's it's too much. You don't, you, you you can't make the decision. So you call a timeout, and you stop. You assess. You figure out what the best solution is, and then you resume the game. Now, a couple things about a timeout. One is, when you need a timeout, it's not a quit. It's not a quit. Like just because you can't figure out who needs to go on the field, the team doesn't just say, ah, oh, sorry guys, it ain't going to work out. We can't figure out who to put on there. Get on the bus. Let's go home. Some of you people, instead of a timeout, you do a quit where timeout, you don't know timeout. Timeout's just quit. Like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. And you just walk out of the room. That's a quit. A timeout, see, there's always a set time. Sometimes they'll say it's a 30-second timeout. Sometimes they'll say it's a full timeout. Like a full timeout in football is like three minutes, something like that. Um, and your arguments, a timeout is at least 10 minutes. At least 10 minutes. It takes at least 10 minutes for the chemicals in your brain to settle. For the amygdala to calm itself down, let your frontal lobes take back over so you can move to a constructive solution to this. So when you say, hey, no, 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 we need to take a timeout. And by here's the thing, either party can call the timeout. It could be because you need a timeout. It could be because you recognize they need a timeout. But here's the thing, you don't need to always state who needs the timeout. <laughs> we need to take a timeout. You clearly can't talk about this right now. <laughs> if it wasn't go time already, it is go time after that statement. Either person can call the timeout. Remember, one of our rules is we respect the call. When somebody says, hey, hey, I think we need to take a time out and come back and talk about this. Now, part, second part of this, we need to come out and talk about this, state the time. That's why it's a time out, not a quit. I don't want to talk about this. Walk out the room, that's a quit. Time out is when you say, we just need to take a time out, set the clock right now, we'll come back in 10 minutes to talk about it. Or we'll talk about this on the ride home. We'll talk about this when we get home. We'll talk about this after we put the kids to bed. You schedule a time for when the time out ends and you're still going to talk about it. you got to do it because you're not going to get anywhere. You're just chasing somebody down some path, and you don't have the frontal lobes that can even come to any solution whatsoever. Um, so you got to call the timeout, um, which goes number eight. When's a good time to have a we-need-to-talk-talk? Talk? Now, uh, let's just begin with the fact that there is never a good time to have a win-and-talk-talk, talk, right? It just isn't. There's never, there's never a time where you're like, you know, I just realized tomorrow at 10 o'clock, I'm going to have two hours free. I'm going to get a good night's sleep tonight. I got a big breakfast planned. 
And it's not that I'm really going to be looking for a fight, but I think I'll be ready for one if there is one. <laughs> that never happens, right? I mean, it just doesn't happen. Uh, one of my favorite verses on timing um, is this. It's uh, Proverbs 27, 14. If you loudly bless somebody early in the morning, they'll take it as a curse. Let that sink in for a minute. Some of you people need to hear that, right? Somebody gets in your face before you've had coffee in the morning. Hey, it's so good to see you today. Aren't you glad it's today? Today's the day the Lord has made. Are you ready for that? When you're out cold asleep and somebody comes in, good morning, the sun's up. Do you feel affirmed? Or you want to throw something, right? It's taken as a curse. In other words, we know even if you had good news, there are bad times to bring a good news or a blessing. Would it not be fair to say then when you have a we need to talk moment, there are some really bad times to have a we need to talk moment, okay? There are some times which are worse than others. You're never going to have the perfect time, but there are times that are better than others. You need to be aware of that. Sometimes you need to schedule. You know, what was the last thing that was, was up there? When is a good time? When you do in person, when is a good time? For some of you, late, late at night when you don't have your full frontal lobes engaged is not a good time. I can tell you right now, never while you're drinking. <laughs> you know, some of y'all been there, got that t-shirt. Um, while you're in the middle of another project or with somebody else, those are not good times to talk. There's never going to be a good time, okay? You just got to get that out of the way. But you can, you know, say, we need to talk. Sometime between now and Friday, we need to talk. Or sometimes it's a closure parameter. No, we need to talk before, before tonight because they're leaving in the morning. We need to have this talk. And the part of that pressure, see, that's, that's this pressure moment. Your first conflict is the conflict about when to have the talk. Well, we have to do it before they leave tomorrow morning. That's the pressure. Your frontal lobes can engage and go, well, okay, then we'll have to do it, and you find that way to re resolve it, right? Um, all right, moving on. Um, number nine, no personal fouls. Uh, Proverbs eleven seventeen says, those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel will bring ruin on themselves. Um, Personal fouls. Think about personal fouls. Soccer, basketball, football, there's personal fouls. There are things that are so out of bounds. There are so things that are so malicious. You can get thrown out of the game for them. You have to stop everything. You don't go any further. Uh, you slide tackle somebody from behind, don't even go for the ball in soccer, we stop everything. They, they just blow the whistle, stop it. You go and take a cheap shot on somebody in football, we stop and we talk about it. Same thing in basketball, flagrant fouls. We stop and we talk about it. Uh, this happens sometimes in your arguments. Uh, for instance, no hitting below the belt. Every one of us has some sensitive area, right? Right? Like bringing up your past. Oh, well, you know, if you want to talk about doing the dishes and why it's a problem, you know, if I'm not doing the dishes, well, let's talk about the fact that you don't know how to, be, how to stay faithful and you've been talking to the other guy at work. Let's just talk about the fact that you've cheated on me six times. That doesn't solve anything. I thought that that was something you all talked about and you forgave the person about and you were going to continue in your relationship. That's below the belt. Oh, well, I guess we're just going to live like your alcoholic mother then, aren't we? I, I apologize if I'm hitting actually one of your triggers and below the belt for you. But you can see how that's below the belt. That's a personal foul. That has nothing to do with the current conversation, right? And when that happens, you go, no, 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 no. Well, stop. We're not going there. That, you need to apologize for a personal foul before you can even continue. Because that in itself is another offense. That offense needs to be dealt with before we can talk about whatever the offense is that we're talking about. I may be 100% in the wrong, but if you're going to start bringing up my past or so some personal foul, what are you doing to my amygdala at that point? 
it's starting to secrete. And if we don't stop that, we're going to have to take a time out because we can't get anywhere with this. Um, some other things. Uh, personal foul. Intimidation. Intimidation. Now, a lot of guys, uh, a lot of people struggle with this, and I want to explain something to you guys. Don't give me your exceptions. Just follow along because this happens to every guy. I don't care how big you are. You ever been like at a club or sports bar or something like that, and maybe you're walking or maybe you're in a crowd, and some dude who's like 6'6", 325, bumps into you? And it wasn't right. It was wrong. And you kind of turn around and you kind of think to yourself, eh, I'm not going to bother saying anything. I mean, the chances of you guys throwing down fists in the middle of Buffalo Wild Wings is pretty low, right? I mean, civilized adult men don't typically do those kind of things, right? But at the same time, if it did come to that, I don't want that. I don't want any piece of that, right? I know how that's probably going to turn out. So I don't want a physical confrontation. And so even though I should say, uh, excuse me, sir, I, I believe that was quite rude the way you just bumped into me there. Could you please apologize? <laughs> you don't say anything because you're a little intimidated. I know this isn't true of all of you couples out there, but most of you men could take your woman if it came to a throwdown fist fight. Not that any of you would, not that you've ever threatened to. In the same way that not that, that that guy at Buffalo Wild Wings who ran into you was not threatening you with a fist fight. But in the back of your mind, you know how it would turn out if it did. There's that subtle bit of intimidation physically that's there. Never forget that. Never forget that. That's what she lives with every day, simply by the fact that you're stronger than her or bigger than she is. So keep that in mind and do whatever it takes to not be physically intimidating in those moments or ask, you know, she can say, hey, I feel physically intimidated. Well, why? Why do you feel Because you're a 325-pound, six-foot-six dude in her face. Metaphorically, at least. You know? You just say, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to intimidate you. I'm sorry. You know, what can we do to make you feel more comfortable? Ask, answer the question. What, what, what can I do to, ma to make you feel more comfortable? Women often do it socially, though. Not always, but sometimes. That's one of their big areas that they'll do it. Decide to have the conversation over at your parents' house. Oh, you don't want me to raise my voice? Well, if you want me to raise my voice, then why don't you tell me what? And they use social intimidation. Guys will do it too. But if you don't have physical intimidation, you've got to go some other card, right? That's a foul. Hey, you know this is not the place to talk about this. We're not talking about this here. That's not fair. It's not fair to have this conversation here. Uh, lastly, hug it out. Hug it out. Um, when you finish the conversation, you end where the conversation began, with a statement of our commitment and of our love. Uh, you review what it is that we've resolved. Maybe the only thing we, we, we maybe the only thing we, we maybe the only thing that was resolved was to talk about it again next week. I told you I stutter. I have a problem with stuttering. Um, or maybe you have a resolution that you've come to. And you talk about it. Hey, I love you. I'm glad we had this talk. We'll have a lot more of these because I'm not going anywhere. But I'll take the kids Monday. You get them next Monday. Hug. Now, if you want to do more than hug, that's on you. I'm just saying <laughs> hug. It's reaffirming the two have become one flesh and we're in this together. So we end it where we began it. Um, now, I hope this works out better for you than it did for Phyllis. <laughs> trying these things out with Angela there in the opening bumper clip. Um, 
But if both of you are on the same page and are using by the same rules, your conversations will go much better. We join with me to close out our time in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, above all, that you have loved us with the kind of love that has continually shown your commitment, chosen ahead of time to forgive, and longs for you and us to become one, just as you and the Father are one. Father, may we do the same and show the same in our relationships. That we may confront others and speak to others in the same way that you've done it to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.